Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 7th Slap Podcast. My name's Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my co-host, Asta Sinha. So today is going to be another continuation of our series going over different types of LR questions. And today we're going to be going over what Seven Sage calls PSA questions. Henry, can you kind of walk us through what PSA questions are for someone who maybe isn't a Seven Sage user or is and just hasn't gotten to that question yet? Yeah, so PSA questions are pseudo-sufficient assumption questions, and we call them that because they are similar to sufficient assumptions, but not quite. When you see these on the test, they, they come up as rules or principles. The argument conforms to which one of the following principles, which of the following principles most fits the reasoning of the argument. I think that's another one. Yeah, I mean, like some variation of that. The key word that you're looking for there is principle or rule. You're trying to find an answer choice that is generally applicable to the argument that they give you and either makes the argument valid or at least brings the argument close to validity. In general, right, it fits. It makes the argument make sense is kind of how I would explain it. And it's pretty much what a sufficient assumption question does, right? You're just finding an answer choice that allows you to logically draw the conclusion that they give you. These principle rule questions are a little bit more broad. They don't have to make the argument 100% airtight completely valid and they're formatted slightly differently than your typical sufficient assumption question which is why we here at seven sage call them psa questions so like when i think of what a principle or rule is what these answer choices are going to look like the way that i explain it to my clients at least is think of it like a law right you're gonna have some kind of law set in stone that's very generic very general right it's going to apply to a lot of different situations and when you're looking at a set of facts or a set of events your job is to test and see if those facts or that event applies to this law and whether or not it falls under the umbrella of this law so for example let's say there's a law out there that's I don't know, you can't trespass on a fenced building at night, right? It's a very general, just you can't trespass if the building has a fence and it's at night. And you're looking at a situation and you're like, okay, Bob trespassed a building in Kentucky at one in the morning and there's a wooden fence around that building. Well, that general law is going to apply to the situation here, even though the answer choice, right? That law isn't as specific as the situation I have. Well, that's the point. It's supposed to be a principle. It's supposed to be a rule. It's supposed to be something that's all-encompassing, kind of an umbrella concept for what we're looking for here and how you apply it. So hopefully, if you're trying to understand what the answer choices are going to look like when it comes to a principle or rule question, you can kind of think of it like you're looking for the law that applies to the situation. Does that make sense, Henry? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's think about a couple of, you know, just general examples before we jump into an actual question. Henry, you had a little water, soda, something going on there. Do you want to kind of walk us through that? Okay. So if you're looking at a very bare bones PSAR question or rule application question, you might get a stimulus that looks something like this. Water is healthy and soda is unhealthy. Therefore, you should drink water. How I usually approach these questions is you want to look at the stimulus as a set of facts and an outcome. In this case, you want to look at the set of facts here as water is healthy and soda is unhealthy. And the outcome is that you should drink water. So the question is, why is that the case? Do you agree? Do you agree that you should drink water? And if you do agree, why is it, right? Why is it that you feel like you should be drinking water here? And it's probably because you think that you should drink healthy things, right? And consume healthy things. And so what you're already doing or what your mind is doing there is it's like a little mini PSAR question, right? Where they're figuring out or your mind is assuming this rule that healthy things are the ones should be like preferred over unhealthy things. And so if you're looking at this, what you want to think is like, okay, I need a rule. Some 
rule that talks commands I eat healthy things or drink healthy things, and I avoid things that are unhealthy. And going back to what you said, a lot of these rules can be looked at in terms of like the, the trigger and the outcome. So in this case, the trigger here is like when confronted with a choice between a healthy and an unhealthy option, pick the healthy thing. Right. So the, the, the trigger there is you're confronted with a choice that happens and then the outcome says pick the healthy thing, which would follow our our stimulus, which says, therefore, you should drink water. And so when you're looking at a PSAR question, I, I want you to, and I think it's very helpful to identify the conclusion. Right. What kind of outcome do they want you to get to? And try to find a rule that will deliver you to that conclusion. Oftentimes, these PSAR questions or the principal questions, they end up having only one answer choice that actually even will deliver you to the outcome, right? So the only one answer choice will talk about what kind of healthy drinks you should eat, right? Or what kind of he- drinks you should eat, drinks you should drink, <laughs> right? Drinks you should register drink. register that you said that wrong. But yeah, I, drinks I you should drink. Makes sense. Right, exactly. And so when I work with a client, I always tell them, let's focus first and foremost on the conclusion. What kind of conclusion or outcome do we want? And usually from there, you can identify, I don't say like 90% of the time, you'll be able to identify the right answer choice just based on that. The other 10% of the time, you're going to have a two conclusions or two answer choices that will deliver you to the outcome that you want. The question then is, is the trigger working? Does the trigger work? So if this was a harder PSAR question, you might get answer choice A. You should always pick the healthiest. When confronted with two foods, pick the healthier food. Answer choice E, when confronted with two drinks, pick the healthier drink. Right? So E is going to deliver you to the outcome. Yeah, right. That's going to trigger the conclusion that we were looking for, which is you should drink water. You should drink this healthy thing. Yeah. So yeah, between A and E, both deliver you to the same outcome. Pick the healthier of the two. But the trigger of answer choice A, which is about food, does not happen. Whereas the trigger of E, which is about drinking drinks, fits, matches the stimulus. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. That makes perfect sense to me. Why don't we go ahead and just jump into a question and see kind of what this looks like when we're not just working with a three sentence statement, which, God, I wish actual LR questions were that short and that simple is water is healthy, soda is unhealthy, therefore you should drink water. And the right answer is you should drink healthy things. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Perfect. But that's not how the LSAT works. So let's just talk about an actual question. We're pulling from June 2007, section three, question 14. So this is a bit of a long one. So we'll take this one bit at a time. Commentator says, in academic scholarship, sources are always cited. Methodology and theoretical assumptions are set out. So as to allow critical study, replication, and expansion of scholarship. When I read this, I think, I have no idea what this means, right? I see academic scholarship, it seems to be open, like there's citations and you can see what's going on. Afterwards, they say, in open source software, the code in which the program is written can be viewed and modified individual users for their purposes without getting permission from the producer or paying a fee. Okay. Snooze. I'm so bored already, right? There's a lot of vocab. There's just a lot of different words to throw in here. But what you did earlier, I really want to harp on that, is just walking away with the general idea of what they're trying to say. 
the argument's not going to disappear. It's still going to be there if you need to go back and reference something. But with those first two sentences, all I've really gathered so far is academic scholarship has some collaborative features and in open source software, the code is collaborative, right? That is what I have gathered so far. And that's it. I can always come back and read more into it and understand every last detail if I need to. But especially with a question or stimulus that's this long, you really just need to find a way to get through without getting bogged down in those details. Would you agree? Yeah, I I would agree. And, And also one tip, and this is something that you will get a better sense of while you're studying, the longer the stimulus, the more it's okay to do some paraphrasing. If you have a very short stimulus, that's because in a very short stimulus, every single word is going to matter significantly. The longer the stimulus gets, the more they want to throw fluff at you. And the more it's important to get at the underlying idea here. And so when, we, when we're looking at these really long sentences with hundreds of words, you, I, what I want you to think is like, okay, what's the hundred? I mean, this is definitely hundreds of words. Is this not? There's no way this is hundreds of words. It's like four sentences. Okay, hundreds. Can I can I be hyperbolic for a little bit? Am I am I allowed to am I allowed to exaggerate with a bunch of words, right? A bunch of words. What I want you to think is what's the underlying idea here? So in this case, academic scholarship, it seems like there's you can follow it, right? Every step of the way you can view and open source software, kind of similar, right? Kind of similar in that everyone can see the writing and it can all be modified by individual users, I guess. In any case, let's keep on going. In contrast, the code of proprietary software is kept secret and modifications can be made only by a producer for a fee. Interesting. So it seems like this proprietary software, it's a lot more closed than this open source software. It's just they're contrasting the two in the way that makes perfect sense. Open source software is open. Proprietary software is private. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. checks out. Good job with the nomenclature there, programmers. In any case, this shows, okay, referential phrasing. So when they say this shows, this is talking about all the facts we just laid out, right? So them describing academic scholarship, open source software, and proprietary software. That open source software better matches the values embodied in academic scholarship. Okay. So when it says it better matches the values embodied in academic scholarship, we have to ask ourselves, well, well, what, right? Better matches then what? Oh, better matches than the proprietary software. So if you're thinking about academic scholarships values, the open source software values or open source software better matches those values than proprietary software. Interesting. When you notice this sentence, right, this is very specific, right? It's very specific. It's it's it seems significant, right? They're not just describing a bunch of different things about like, oh, it allows you to pay a fee and yada, 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 blank, you know, like you said, snooze, right? This is this is important, right? This is like, oh, okay. So one type of software better matches academic scholarship. Interesting. And since scholarship is central to the mission of universities, universities should use only open source software. Okay. Interesting. So we have an outcome here. Yeah. So when we're looking at that, what they're trying to convince you of here is that universities should use only open source software. Now, the question is, is why? Right. Why should they use open source software? We have no idea. Well, it's not that we have no idea, but I don't have a rule telling me which kinds of software universities should use. If you go back in the stimulus, at no point do they tell us and universities should use X kind of software. They tell us a bunch of facts and they tell us a bunch of facts. Hey, this is everything you need to know about universities. This is what you need to know about open source software. This is what you need to know about proprietary software. But they don't give me a rule that tells me which kind of software universities should use. If, if we go back to our example with the, the drinks, the mere fact that water is healthy and soda is unhealthy 
doesn't mean you should drink one or the other. Right? What I need here is a is a rule that tells me what kind I should drink. Similarly, all we know right now is that open source software better matches university values than proprietary software. But why is it they should use the open source software then? Yeah, just I was just going to add, right, it might feel intuitive, right? To you, it might feel intuitive. Well, of course, they should use the one that better matches their values, right? Of course, that's why they should use open source software. But you're doing exactly what we were talking about earlier with the drinks, if that's what you're doing, right? It might seem intuitive. Obviously, you should drink the healthier thing as opposed to the unhealthy thing. But you can't just assume that, right? We need a rule. We need a principle. We need to find an answer choice that allows us to get to that point. So be very careful with these types of questions. I think a lot of times we have a tendency to fill in the blanks or add in information where there isn't and just kind of, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I'll like invent sentences and arguments that aren't there just because it feels so natural for that to be there. And then I'll be looking at the answer choice and be like, oh, doesn't the argument already say that? And I'll realize I've just completely made it up. I've just gone insane because it feels like it should be there. So especially when you're doing these types of questions, be very conscious of not filling in information that isn't there, but being mindful of what assumptions you are making because, hey, most of the time, that's probably going to be pretty close to the right answer. Mm-hmm. I think what can be helpful to make sure you're not making assumptions is to, to identify normative claims versus descriptive claims. Normative claims have to deal with what ought to be the case, what you ought to do. So if I say that you should study, that's an ought, right? You ought to study. Descriptive claims have nothing to do with ought and what ought to happen. It entirely has to do with what is the case, right? The sky is blue is a descriptive claim. Now, interestingly, normative claims can never arise from purely descriptive claims. So for example, if I tell you you shouldn't steal, or Asa, you tell me you shouldn't steal, right? And I say, well, why? Why shouldn't you steal? It's against the law. I don't know. It's against the law. Well, why Why should you follow the law? Uh, we're going to go down this rabbit hole for years because it helps keep society safe. Right. Well, why, why is that a good thing? Yeah. I, get, I see your point here. You can't decide from any piece of information what should, in fact, happen. You have to just come up with that rule on your own. Well, see, exactly. So if you notice, Asa kept replying with a descriptive claim. Why? To keep society safe. Well, okay, keeping society safe, it's descriptive, right? That keeps society safe. But what you need there, eventually down that line, is we're going to come up and we're going to hit a normative claim. Well, that's because you should not do things that are bad, and that's bad. Right. So when you're looking at this at uh, this question, right, where they say universities should use only open source software, one thing you can think is, do I see any normative claims in the stimulus? Right. Any 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 evidence of normative claims? And the answer is no. We just get a bunch of description. Right. What is academic scholarship? What is open source software? What is proprietary software? And and this idea that open source software better matches academic scholarship. Well, these are all facts. Right? Those are all facts. But at no point do they say anything normative there. What ought to be, happen? There's no values there. And so when you're looking at this, you can think, okay, well that's my gap. Right. I need something that tells me what should universities do. Right. What kind of software should they use? So just to kind of recap, what I'm gathering from what you're saying is there's two different types of claims, claims that are just a fact and claims that are things that you should do. And if you're going to make a claim about something you should do, it cannot be based on a fact. It has to be based on something else that you should be doing. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And, and this is going to apply to more than just these principal questions. This will apply to sufficient assumption questions, weakened questions, a whole bunch of questions. It's a very common flaw in this LSAT where they, they, they'll tell you, well, oh, you should study for the test. You were like, the way they say it on this LSAT. Like, is that like- oh, on this LSAT. On, the, on this test we call the LSAT. On, yeah, on like this just- test of ours. <laughs> 
our on this old test friend, of ours. Our well, old it pal. it's true. It co- it comes up a lot. And so one thing I would like you to do, or what I would recommend you doing, is in order to get sensitive, is start looking at the world through normative claims and descriptive claims. Start trying to identify when when you say something normative, like oh, I should go to the store, and, and then you can interrogate your own thought process a little bit. Well, why should you go to the store? Oh, because I'm out of food. Well, why does that matter? And then you'll realize you'll eventually run, well, being out of food is bad. Starving is bad. I shouldn't starve, right? And there's there's that normative claim. There's that rule. I think that can be a very helpful way to start looking at this test. And it'll get you sensitive to making that distinction and deciding like what is a fact versus what is a value judgment. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Why don't we tackle these answer choices? So just as a recap, what we're working with here, the conclusion is universities should use only open source software. And the thing that came right before that was this shows that open source software better matches the values embodied in academic scholarship. And since scholarship is the central mission of universities, universities should only use open source software. So cool. Take us away, Henry. Yeah. All right. So let's take a look at answer choice A. Whatever software tools are most advanced and can achieve the goals of academic scholarship are the ones that should alone be used in universities. Interesting. So so one thing I'm, I'm looking at here, and something that looks good about this rule is that it it's very harsh. It says that whatever kinds of software they're talking about are the ones that should alone be used in universities. Well, that's great because the, the stimulus says that we should only use open source software. So this kind of software is the only thing that universities should use. So that part looks good. The problem we have, though, is in the beginning where they say whatever software tools are most advanced. Immediately here, I want to get a little bit skeptical because they, they don't really tell us which of the software is most advanced. Well, they don't tell us at all. Like, it's not even that they don't really tell us. Like, there is no indication of whether or not open source software or proprietary software is the most advanced one. Absolutely. And so when you're looking at this, you think like, ah, like, well, I don't know if this applies. I don't know if this rule is applicable to me because I don't know which software is most advanced. It's entirely feasible that the proprietary software is the most advanced. And that's going to deliver us to an entirely different outcome than the one we want. So once you get to this idea of most advanced, you want to cross your arms and think like, I don't really want to read further. (laughs) Well, no, I wouldn't read further than this because and I say cross arms because often on this test, I, I look at things as like, what is probably going to be right, right? What is probably going to be right? The second you get to most advanced, I mean, maybe there's a world where this is right if B through E are just awful. But it's so unlikely that I would just, I would skip this, right? I would skip this because there's a very, very, very slim chance that this is right and a far larger chance, many multitudes higher that it's wrong. And you want to be devoting your time to answer choices that are more likely to be right. I'd rather you spend a lot more time between B and C, which are the ones that you think could be right, than, than something that you think could be wrong, right? So saving even the time it takes to read one second, two seconds, it can add up, you know, it can add up. Oh, for sure, right? The amount of times I've seen students say, like, if I just had one more minute on this other question, then I probably would have gotten it right. Well, I wonder where that minute was gone. Oh, you probably lost that minute spending an extra second or two on every single answer choice that you read throughout the entire section. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to the next answer choice. Answer choice B. Answer choice B. Universities should use the type of software technology that is least expensive. 
Ooh. And as Asa, I know, least expensive gets a Ooh. little bit hairy. I don't love it, right? Least expensive, sure. In the argument, we're talking about like the fee, like open source software doesn't have a fee to edit it, whereas proprietary software does. But that doesn't mean the technology is less expensive. Like maybe for open source software, you need like 50 million computers to run it, but for proprietary software, you just need one. Well, in that instance, proprietary software would be less expensive. I'm not like 100% convinced by that because they do talk about money a little bit in the argument, but the fact that it's saying universities should use the type of software technology that is least expensive, if we're going to stick with like the arms crossed thing, I'll cross one arm, right? I'm like 50-50 already on this answer choice and we haven't even gotten through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. What else is mentioning is just this idea of, we'll say sure, the initial purchase price isn't necessarily indicative of the entire cost to use something, right? So when you're looking at something, you think like least expensive, well, that, that encompasses a lot of things. Right? One of it is the initial purchase price, but the upkeep, like installation costs, various things like that. So that's why when this answer choice says the type of software that is least expensive, well, I don't really know which one is actually least expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we're already here. We're like, eh, not in love with it. Let's see if there's another knock, then we can definitely rule this out. As long as the type of software technology is adequate for the purposes of academic scholarship. Okay. The purposes of academic scholarship? Right. Yeah. If you, if you remember to the stimulus from 10 minutes ago when we were talking about <laughs> this, right? <laughs> we know that open source software better matches the values of academic scholarship, but we don't actually know how useful and whether or not open source software is adequate for whatever academic scholarship is trying to do. And so when they say here that the purposes of academic scholarship, I think you want to think like, well, I don't know. Is open source software actually good for academic scholarship unclear and because we have these two marks off we can we can we can just move on at this point this answer choice it just does not look good doesn't look good at all especially when you come across an answer choice like c oh <gasps> crazy segue let's see what c says answer choice c universities should choose the type of software technology that best matches the values embodied in the activities that are central to the mission of universities. Okay, this looks really good, right? So we're, we're interested, universities should choose the type of software that does what? Oh, best matches the values of the activities, right? So the values, well, what best matches the values of the activities of universities? Open source software. Mm, yeah, open source software, right? They tell us this in the, in the stimulus. So, so C looks really great because it's a rule that tells us what universities should use. Yeah, I, I want to make kind of a quick point here. This might feel overly simple. Literally, the conclusion is saying universities should only use open source software, which better matches the values embodied in academic scholarship. And the right answer is that universities should do that. They should choose the type of software that best matches the values embodied in the activities that are central to the mission of universities. Like It's almost word for word what the end of this stimulus is saying. It's just adding the word should, right? They should, in fact, do that thing. And all of the beginning of this argument about what academic scholarship is, what open source software is, what proprietary software is quite literally does not matter for this answer choice like this entire argument could have been cut down to the last sentence and we still would have gotten to the right answer so just kind of as a reminder like henry and i when we were going through this original argument we were kind of paraphrasing the beginning and once we got to the end we we're like oh this is where the conclusion is this is where the good stuff is like i'm actually going to pay attention here yeah that's all that ended up mattering so don't let yourself get bogged down by the first three sentences of this argument that quite literally do nothing, do nothing at all. So anyways, that's all to say, I think it's important to realize there's going to be fluff in an argument that doesn't matter. And don't let that fluff 
force you or, or make you overlook the simplest of answer choices that is almost word for word what's written in the argument. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next answer choice. D, the form of <laughs> software <suck>. technology <laughs> that best matches the values embodied in activities that are central to the mission of mission of universities is the form of software technology that is most efficient for universities to use. Okay, so the first part here, I mean, looks promising, right? Because it's talking about, well, which software technology best matches the values embodied in embodied by the mission of universities. The problem here is the outcome, right? It doesn't tell us that, oh, universities should use that. It says that that is the most efficient for universities to use. Well, where in the stimulus do we ever talk about efficiency? Right? We never talk about efficiency or we're not trying to say like, oh, it's so much more efficient to use open source software. We're just saying that universities should use them. So, so D is not good. I mean, if D looks good to you, it, it, it's probably because you think that, oh, well, obviously universities should use efficient technology. But that is not right. That's another assumption you have to make. In any case, we move on to E. Last one. A university should not pursue any activity that would block the achievement of the goals of academic scholarship at that university. All right, block so I mean, block what? Ugh. Yeah, bl block what? And and honestly, too, we can we can stop even earlier when they say a university should not pursue an activity. Well, our, our argument is about what should happen. It's not about what should not happen. And so when you're looking at E and it says like, oh, a university should not do what? Do X. That's not going to inform us about what they should do. For example, if you say you should not steal, well, that's not going to tell you what you should do, right? Should you give to charity? Well, no, that's a terrible example. <laughs> run that back. Run that back for you. No, run, that makes that, perfect sense. What's right, wrong with that? Run that, run that back. No, Just because you shouldn't <laughs> steal doesn't mean you should give to charity. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, or even... With E, if you were to apply it more closely to the stimulus, if, if E said something like a university should not use proprietary software, that wouldn't imply that they should use open source software. Maybe they shouldn't use both of them. And maybe they shouldn't be using any software at all. Because <laughs> I'm anti-proprietary software. You can't infer that I'm pro open source software. Wow. That brings us to the end of today's episode going over this PSA question. In general, though, just to kind of recap, you want to be looking for the answer choice that triggers whatever outcome the original argument is, right? So here, the outcome we were looking for is universities should only use open source software. We found the answer choice that triggers that outcome, that universities should choose the type of software technology that best matches the values embodied in the activities that are central to the mission of the universities, mm. right? That's what we were looking for. That's what we got. We were looking for something that should happen. You should also tune in next week to our episode of the 7 Sage Hot Podcast. See you all soon. See you guys next week. For more LSAT study tips, visit 7sage.com. <laughs>